This lecture is brought to you by Knox Theological Seminary on iTunes U. Knox is a seminary in the tradition of the Reformation that exists to educate men and women to declare and demonstrate the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our prayer is that this teaching will be beneficial in your Christian life and ministry. Well, let's finish this last bit of the Heidelberg Disputation, um, which is also sort of, it's the most life-giving, I think. It's the part where, um, you know, everything has been stripped away by now, if we're following with Luther so far. Um, every objection that we could give to God's work in us has been shown to be faulty defense mechanism. Um, there are no ways out if we are going to be theologians of the cross who look for God's work to be in the cross alone. Um, and we don't trust in our works or we don't trust in our will to be able to do things. Um, so in, the in Theses 25 to 28, we get really a, a description of, a, of the life that's being raised from the dead. Um, there are no ways out but there is new life um, from God in, in Christ alone. Um, so these theses are sort of wonderful statements of God's grace for us, I think. Um, thesis 25 says, One is not righteous who does much, but the one who, without work, believes much in Christ. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like you just you can just kind of say it and almost let it be. Um, it's the introduction of Christ. Didn't yeah. Relying on Faraday, he makes the point. This is the first time that maybe a passing reference he's referred to earlier. But this is maybe the first time yeah. Christ appears. Yeah. The uh, the other interesting thing to note about that too, though, is um, Luther doesn't mention despair before he mentions grace. So even though Christ isn't coming towards the end, he's never tried to... Um... He doesn't mention despair before he mentions grace. Yeah, grace and despair come together in around Thesis 17. Uh, he won't divorce despair from grace. Mm -hmm. That's You're never going to get just that law by itself without pointing to, to the grace. The law does not kill us. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and this you know, thesis points us back to the first 12 and just saying God is simply not interested in the works that um, come out of our concern for our self-righteousness, for our desire to justify ourselves. Those works um, have no standing before God. They take, he takes no account of them um, with regard to our righteousness. Um, this is another good sort of swipe at Aristotle and just saying that it's not through frequently, frequently repeating acts that you become the thing that you are, but that God makes you the thing that you are, and then you can do those things. Um, which goes obviously just contrary to everything you're taught in sort of day-to-day -day life. If you want to be this, you have to apply yourself to it. Um, I think the common example is if you want to be a builder, you have to learn the things that make you a builder. Um, if you want to be a Christian, God has to make you one. And then you can practice the things 
that Christians do afterwards. But doing those things will not make you a Christian. Um, Luther does um, distinguish here, though, that when he says um, without work, it doesn't, again, mean that um, the righteous person is just sitting around doing nothing. But it's just simply that the works don't make you righteous because the righteous person is going to do works. Um, as we'll get to in just a few minutes in the freedom of a Christian, being set free, you are set free precisely to do works, but it's works that are rightly understood as directed not towards protecting yourself and not towards gaining God's favor, but simply towards serving those around you. Is there a reference for Aristotle's sort of articulation of this repetition of, of works helps you become the thing, or is it more just tacit throughout his philosophy? Um, uh, the ethics, yeah, that's sort of the the, the common thing. Um, that's that's the, I think that's the main work of Aristotle that Luther is typically engaging with. Um, and for Luther, I, I may have already said this, but for Luther, for Luther Aristotle's ethics um, are fine, just depending on what you're talking about. So if you're talking about justification or new life in Christ, you can't talk about it at all, just like you can't talk about the law. But if you're talking about how, as a Christian, you just live in the world for others, yeah, you can, it's perfectly fine to talk about Aristotle's ethics because they're, it's chock full of you know, wisdom and insight. Um, so Aristotle doesn't always just get punched in the face because he does have a, a proper place to be. It's just you can't let Aristotle run out of his cage. I I just said that. Oh yeah. <laughs> Luther may have said that somewhere, but that's just the imagery that came to my mind at least. Um, pressing on, thesis twenty six. The law says do this and it is never done. Grace says believe in this and everything is done. <laughs> Gospel. <laughs> Somebody get their yeah. Probably is, yeah. Yeah, I mean, this this is just the nice distinction. If if law commands, grace gives. If this one thing is saying you have to love, this other thing comes along and says, "I love you." Um, and that that's I think a remarkably comforting word. Um, that simply by this act of faith, which is not even your own work, because we've already determined that you can't do it, you can't will it, but it's this gift given to you. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a categorically free gift given to you, and in that gift you receive all things. caricature of Luther or whatever else. Yeah. I'm really just kind of wanting to go with the antinomian. We're almost to the arch. And may I ask, and I'm almost getting personal, what are you, how are you tracking with, with the Heidelberg right now? I'm, I'm okay with it. 
And so this word right here, how do you think your friend would respond? Oh, she would agree. She would agree wholeheartedly, yeah. What's that? She would agree wholeheartedly. Yeah, but almost too much. She says, see, the law is bad. She go there? Or? Yeah, she might. Yeah. I don't know. It's hard to put your finger on. Because you can't divorce these, you know, tweet, which I tweet out too. But <laughs> a human is made humble mm -hmm. by the law. The law says do this, and nothing, nothing of course, can happen. But the humility is already happening. And it's only that humility that the law brings about which causes that despair into, into which Christ comes. It's, it's, it's hearing that command which then opens you up to receive the gift. Um, I mean, but the, the law and this, this interplay between law and gospel is just all about not leaving anything for the old Adam to do. Not giving the old Adam a sort of yeah, a, a chance to find something to hold on to, because um, we take it all away and say it's all been done for you in Jesus Christ, and in Jesus, you've received all these things, um, and the power to do good works and to be, you know, in whatever new relationship we have to the law, that only comes to us in Jesus Christ. I left that. Very loose for now. <laughs> Thesis um, 27 is probably the, maybe the most confusing of these four, or just the, the sort of most strangely worded. Um, actually, one should call the work of Christ an acting work, an our work, an accomplished work, and thus an accomplished work pleasing to God by the grace of the acting work. My English teacher would give that an F. I think I kind of have an idea because I read mm -hmm. on, on Luther once where he's basically saying the imputed righteousness in us actually causes us to, it works itself out. Hmm. And that was an interesting concept for me. Like I, really, I never really thought about imputed righteousness that way. Like it, it's active in doing stuff. Right. You know, to me, that's like a conflation of terms. You know, like we, like the Heidelberg Catechism. Gratitude for the invitation, but it's not the invitation itself is doing the grateful obedience. But anyway, he said that, so this would kind of line up with this, where it's like we receive by faith the righteousness of Christ, but then that righteousness somehow is acting out of us. Hmm. You know? Yeah. The turn for me, when I got, when I kind of freshly rediscovered the gospel and its articulation by justification somewhere six or seven years ago, I had to kind of relearn. Oh, I'm not saved by justification, I'm saved by Jesus. Mm -hmm. The way that's articulated is the doctrine of justification. So Jesus is always doing something in me uh, through the Spirit. But justification is not doing something in me, but the act of it is perpetually told to me it's good news. I just need to be reminded. That was like, a, was like wow, it's such a basic thought, but mm, that's how I put those two together. Hmm. Jesus saved me. Justification explains what he's doing. I think it was, uh, what's his name, Richard Hooker? Um, yeah, he, he, his phrase, it was that uh, we are justified by faith, not by 
we're not justified by faith by believing in justi justification by faith, right. which I both like that and don't like that. Okay. Um, I don't like it because it, it's something that N.T. Wright always quotes yeah. to, oh, to, to, yeah. to knock the importance of he justification by faith. But I think I, to, to try to, to take justification away from the sender, um, just, just as a way of saying this is happening, but we don't really always have to, to be talking about it. Um, which I don't think is the best. Yeah, I'm, it's still the center. Theologians of the cross talk about what actually is. That's why I always but I feel like a pygmy when I start to take on easy bread. It's like, who am I? I mean, yeah. And I think, you know, I've been given a word. Yeah. Wrong. You're just a little more squeamish because you're in the world wide. I am. <laughs> I'm not Lady about bishops and the order of order of Yeah. Yeah. But Hooker, I think, is kind of saying what you just said. It's 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 the actual substance of the thing. Jesus Christ working in me, giving himself for me, that saves me, not the articulation of that thing. Yeah. Um, and nevertheless, justification, as some have said, is the grammar. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's good. It's, it's a good grammar. Yeah. Just because it's a but it's the grammar of salvation. Mm -hmm. Maybe the grammar of the scriptures, the grammar of the word of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it, it's able to say, Jesus does it. It's still central. Yeah. And that's the sort of grammar that you hope to grow into daily by, you know, more and more knowledge such that the old Adam is continually purged and that sin is continually um, killed off just in the sense that you learn to trust in Christ more and more. But, you know, at least we believe that babies are saved and they don't have that gra grammar at all. Um, but they have the thing. <laughs> it seems to me that, um, you know, Thesis 27 is just saying that... Um, Christ living in us will, 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 I don't want to say arouse you, will, will raise you up to do works um, that essentially imitate the work of Christ. Um, Luther says, since Christ lives in us through faith, so he moves us to do good works through that living faith in his work. It's sort of this interplay that we'll see in the antinomian disputations between Christ's gift and Christ's example. We receive Christ first as a gift that does all things for us. And then, having received that gift, it, the impulse is to follow. It, it doesn't seem to me that it's, this is probably not the, the clearest translation that we could have. I don't, I can't. Maybe Luther wants us to see our works as something that are already done. Yeah, like, since Jesus has come and done what he's done, he wants us to operate out of a, you know, we're not acting to see if God's pleased with this, but just knowing that God is already pleased with these. I don't oh, yeah. the works that have been prepared for us since before the foundation of the world. It's already a done deal. We're just acting them out, not working towards pleasing God. Just, I don't know. That's kind of what I, that's what I was thinking that I was trying to say, too, and I think I see it, too. You know, yeah, oh. just, it's almost like a hindsight thing where if I do a good work, I see it in hindsight as Christ having done it. It's not I, but Christ. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, because yeah, because e even in this, you have to yeah, you have to attribute it to um, it's 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 a work that's pleasing by the grace of the acting work, who is Christ. Um, so back to your question, bookofconcord.org is reliable. It's reliable enough. Thesis <laughs> twenty-seven. Actually, one should call the work of Christ an acting work. Parentheses Oberons. And our work an accomplished work. Parentheses Oberon. Mm. an accomplished work, pleasing to God by the grace. So it's like an acting and active work, or accomplishing an accomplished work. You know what I mean? That might that would be that would be nice. Yeah. Mm. Now. Operated. I think one, yeah, one thing we can agree on here is that uh, you could at least translate this more clearly. <laughs> um, you know, our we're we're sort of circling around an issue of sort of justification and sanctification and the relationship between those two things. And our good buddy Jono um, likes to use the illustration of children. It's just you know, to be justified is to be turned into a little kid who is fully dependent on the parent for all things. Um, you, you trust that they will take care of you fully in all things and in every way. Um, and sanctification is just going out and playing. It's just doing what kids do um, in the freedom that you don't have to, to worry about anything because the parents are going to take care of it. And I always... So. Okay, last thesis. And this is also the epigram to one of my chapters in my PhD thesis. Um, first chapter on Paul, because I think this is a good summary of his theology. Um, the love of God. The theology of Paul. Yeah. Mm -hmm. The love of God does not find but creates that which is pleasing to it. Human love comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. I love it. Yeah. It's, I wrote in my brief that I thought it was one of the most profound things Luther said, you know. Mm. I'm not sure if you're actually going to read those or not, but. <laughs> I, I, I will. Oh no, no. I, I completely agree. It sums up all Paul's theology, so now I feel better about mm. And where do you say your thesis was in what passage? I was kind of all throughout Paul, okay. but a lot of okay. Romans, Second Corinthians, and Galatians. I had to move around a lot. Um, I mean, it's, it's interesting that by the time we get to the end, where we have put to death everything, we've taken away everything, that the only thing that remains here is just the creative love of God. Like that, that is the only thing that we have to put our hope in, is that um, this love is what calls us into being. Um, and that Is, is a thing because we're, yeah, we're no longer 
you know, we're no, in the first 18 theses, you could think about us sitting there tr waiting around trying to uh, find ways for God to approve of what we do. Um, and then at the end, we find that he comes to us to give us all that we need. Uh, you're going to say, Gil? Yeah, just the second part. I wonder if you could expand that. Mm. Love comes into being through that which is pleasing to it. Yeah. That into being, comes into being through that which is pleasing to itself, to love. Mm -hmm. you just explain that a little bit? Yeah, it's, I mean, and this is sort of working with Aristotle too, is that humans are attracted to the things that they find attractive. It's, it's sort of just that simple notion that we have an understanding of what is good or beautiful, and we will seek those things out. Um, we always have a sort of discriminating kind of love. Um, yeah, or, ha or happiness. Um, we will seek the things that we think look good for our own good. Um, and I, I think that's just the sort of simple point is that, you know, think about how we um, work in day-to-day -day life, you know. What kind of people do we choose to be as our friends or our spouse or uh, we're, we tend to be extremely um, discriminating givers of love and gifts. And um, we just find out that the way that God works is completely yeah, opposite of that. Just, it ends on an indictment of human nature. Mm. Which strikes me. It recalls in my mind what Jonathan Edwards spoke about when he wrote about the affections. You, know, you, mm. you, you, you act on what is most pleasing to you. That will give you the greatest affection. Mm. And that's, that's what comes to mind when you talk about this. Mm. You know, charmers. So we need an expulsive power of a new affection to keep us from being yeah. in us. Yeah. I don't find that final sentence an indictment. You know? uh, no, I hear, I hear it saying, uh, human love, seeing God's love, is wooed to it, finds it pleasing, and therefore is birthed. You know, hmm. human love comes into being because it sees what is ultimately pleasing to the human being. Once we get past all the idols, once we get past all the, all the ways we try to find that in lesser spots, once we see the thing, this is the fount. God's love is the fount of life. And my love starts to emerge out of that fount because I've finally seen the Holy Grail, you know? So you're thinking human love of God or yeah. and others. I'm thinking of even all over. So my love of God, my love of my wife, my love of my children, and you get into my love of my hobby, my car, ice cream, my tuna pouch. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, then it's an indictment, then it's similar. Both free yeah. but also indictment because then, as he's putting it here, and I'm working this through. For the object of love is its cause, and my children, assuming that all the power of the soul is passive and material uh, and active only in receiving something. So I receive from my children, which is not a bad thing, but say I'm really into cars, which I'm not. Well, now it's an indictment where you know, it's bright, shiny, new car, concupiscence, now has its active power, and I'm, I'm the passive atom, still finding the object of my desire to be lord over me. Hmm. 
Well, I've missed that second sentence because I've relied so much on Faraday, and he doesn't highlight the second sentence. He loves the first sentence, which I do too. Yeah. He's working with the second sentence. Hmm. Yeah, in the footnote, it does condemn. It compares God's love with human love and says how human love is all jacked up and God's love is great. But I definitely agree with what Zach says at a theoretical level. Like, yeah, it is the love, basically, the love of God, actually. Yeah, but it also lets me still love ice cream like an idiot. Yeah. It's like proverbial, it's like a proverb. It seems like it's just a statement of fact for what things right. are. Yeah, yeah and, and it's not necessarily saying this is wrong. Um, because, you know, it, we always have to make that distinction between the vertical and the right. horizontal, and it only makes sense that we're drawn to the good and the beautiful and what we think uh, is right. But the problem is when we take those categories and then apply them to the vertical, and that ends up taking us back to being theologians of glory. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If I remember correctly, I think Augustine wrote on the doctrine, Christian doctrine, that I think he just straight condemns all, all love, like human love. If, it's, if the end for which you're loving that person is in yourself, mm. you know, he just says, no, that's not love. That's, and when is it not? Yeah, exactly. That's kind of what I'm saying. Like, but then this is kind of rubs with Piper, and you know. Where he would be like, I think Piper Edwards would, would basically say, like, no, this is good, it just needs to be God. Like, you know, I still want to possess God. Yeah, yeah. Well, and that's the, always the thing, is insofar as we are simul, right. we can possess love for God and love for others that is holy in Christ, and God's not going to hold the rest of it against us, but it's still going to be self interested, yeah. you know? Um, I mean, that's the state of the human condition. I mean, that's my problem. Yeah. I can't ever fix that. Yeah, and you just, you just know that that is a fact about you. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And any, in any time where you are actually moving out of yourself and out of your self-interest, you just got to trust that that's the work of the Holy Spirit okay. in you. Well, that's the irony of when you're moving out of your self-interest, you're not aware that you are. Mm-hmm. Because you're not thinking about yourself. Yeah. But afterwards, when you figure out that you did it, then you got yeah. You know the the whole context of Luther's symbol and believe in Jesus all the more is that right? Mm -hmm. They yeah. want to bring that out somewhere. Mm -hmm. Just what you say. I love it. Well, I do. I want to make sure you know that <laughs> talking about the right thing. Is that right? The yeah. context of that letter to Lincoln. I think so. Yeah. You know. Uh, there's a whole stream of Western philosophy which, is, which tries to define how humans give gifts and whether humans can give gifts. And uh, huh. Yeah. So, I mean, for, for a lot of philosophers, you just say that um, Christians, or not Christians, people can't give gifts um, because we have that self-interest. And what Dave said made me think of Derrida. Because there, there's that sense of, oh, if I did something completely without self-interest, I would then figure it out later, and then I would you know, be self-interested again. So what, what Derrida said was the only way you could give a pure gift was to die. Um, because that was the only way that you... Derrida. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, now manage that with your wife. <laughs> okay, you can't. 
Yeah. Mean, you, can't, you can't go there. I mean, they expect, they, they need you to be giving. They, they need to think that you at least, you may not feel it, but you, they, they want to see that. Mm -hmm. They want you to be a giver, giving person, whether it's flowers or whatever. They just, they just expect it. Yeah. So here's where I come in. Because this is, this is, I've been thinking about this. Mm -hmm. It's so obvious. And I was like, I can't believe I just realized that. Because I get all in my mixed and my simile and all that stuff, just giving something to my wife. Something small. And a lot of times we'll get so mixed and get paralyzed and I don't do it. I'm just crying. And I realized, you, you, you cry know, or she cries? I'm about to cry. Okay. Just because I'm such an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on French, but it's like, French that I am. It's yeah. fantastic. I was like, just give her a flower. Doesn't yeah. matter if it's simile on my end because she experiences it as well. Yeah. She, she receives the read of placebo. She receives it as, as love. Yeah. And I'm, you know, of course it's similar. Of course I'm mixed. Mm -hmm. Of course I'm seeking possession of her. Right. But still, love. Send bold, love, mm -hmm. and do what, and do as you please. Yeah. Love God. That sounds like third use. I think it's second, and second, and second. Because <laughs> I just keep, I get in my head, and all I do is keep Hmm. Was your articulation of um, but I like to know what you said. the Aristotelian conception of gifts? Oh. Is that stuff that Barclay is teasing out now in his work? Yeah, I mean that's the kind of thing that you know Jono and I were studying under him, and his he's got a, that new big book on Paul, which you yeah. may have seen. Which if you're wanting the best modern theology of Paul, I would say with some bias that it's called Paul and the Gift by John Barclay. And it ends up giving a very sort of Lutheran reading of Paul. Um, right down to saying that Romans 6 to 7 says that we're simultaneously dead and alive. Like, it's that kind of stuff. It's very good. Um, but, you know, as humans, we are trapped in cycles of reciprocity. Um, we give and expect to receive. And whether that's an actual gift returning to us or just our self-interest. Um, and... We can't purify that gift giving, and we don't have to, because God breaks that cycle for us in the vertical and saying, I'm going to give you everything and not expect anything in return other than what I'm going to do for you. Um, so we are free just to keep going about our <laughs> daily life, um, giving gifts, yeah, and trusting that they're not pure, they're not right or good fully, but... Um, God does not hold that against us. These courses provide a glimpse into our academic programs. Knox students can take one-week or semester-length courses in person at our South Florida campus or choose to complete a degree entirely online. By bringing together academic excellence, a vibrant community of learning, and flexible scheduling, Knox offers today's students timeless truth through modern convenience. For more information about earning credit toward a master's degree, please visit our website at knoxseminary.edu.